Welcome to St Dionys. Uh, I'm Will van der Hart and I'm speaking tonight, uh, continuing our series on a vital life. This is the essential uh, sign of life, respiration, that we're going to be exploring through the teaching of Ezekiel chapters 37 verses 1 to 10. Um, in, in terms of context, uh, the prophet Ezekiel is operating in a period during which the Babylonians are destroying Israel. Uh, it's the period of Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and the Great Oppression. 2 Kings 24.14 notes that so many noble people had been uh, exited to Babylon that only the poorest people of the land were left. Uh, and of course there's the siege of Jerusalem, which lasted for 30 months, and then the Babylonian exile that lasted for 70 years. Just in terms of context, the context of Ezekiel is not dissimilar to uh, other difficult periods of human history and I think this passage has particular relevance, relevance to us uh, today in this season of the COVID pandemic. Reading this text from uh, verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. On average, you take around 20,000 breaths per day, but I doubt that you actually notice a single one of them, unless that is that you can't actually take a breath. You see, it's the lack of oxygen, not the abundance of it, that wakes us up to our need to breathe. I've loved surfing over a lifetime, and it's been my privilege to surf some big waves in some far off places. When you're surfing on a wave, you can't feel more alive. But if you make a single small mistake, you can't feel closer to death. In a split second, you can find yourself tumbling along an underwater reef, so deep that you're not even sure which way is up. Your lungs start burning, and then at that moment, all you can think of is the one thing that you need to live. You need to breathe. Sometimes life can be just like that. One minute we're doing great, and the next minute we don't seem to be able to breathe. Respiration is this process that turns oxygen into energy. We need it. We need it to live. It literally supplies all of the energy needed for all living things. Think about at that moment is, I need to get to the surface right now. You have this incredible urgency. You've got to get up. And, and it doesn't matter how vital your life was 30 seconds ago. Right now, it just feels pretty uncomfortable. You know, it, it's amazing how a lack of oxygen can motivate you to move in a particular direction pretty quickly. And, and actually, it's the only thing you think of. When we have a lack of it, we long for it. 
And, you know, I love that about our physical selves, but I've got to say, I wish it was as straightforward with my spiritual breath. I, I wish that when I'm cruising along the wave of life and I get knocked off by something or other, I suddenly have this urgency to get back to the breath of God. You know, it's just not that obvious. I don't feel that kind of compulsion that I need to just focus all of my energy and all of my intention right now just to get up to the surface of God's breath, just to take a deep breath in. Just to go, oh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Fill me afresh, Lord, today. I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe many of you here tonight are much more virtuous than I am. But when things go badly, I'm just like, oh, I've got to fix this. You know, what can I do to fix this? I'll phone a friend to fix this. Ah, maybe I'll just have a beer and I'll sit back and let this sort itself out. You know, but I don't often feel the emergency, the urgency, the determination that I feel when I'm out of physical breath. You know, respiration is a process that turns oxygen into energy and we need it to live. Spiritual respiration turns all of our energy into the service of Jesus and we need it to live. We really need it to be sustained. Respiration is the spark plug to a petrol engine. It's the pressure on the head of a match. It's the on switch for our iPhone charger. And respiration is the gift of life. Without knowing it, our bodies constantly regulate our breathing and our feeding in order that we might have the energy to live. And I guess I believe today that God's called us to become aware of our own spiritual breathing and feeding in order that we might fully live a vital life for his glory. Just like all physical processes, sometimes things get complicated and we need help to breathe. When we become spiritually breathless, we start struggling with a spiritual life and then we need help to breathe too. You know, we need a diagnosis if we're going to recover. And as I say, it's easy to diagnose yourself when you're out of breath. It's pretty hard when you're out of spiritual breath. I spend a lot of time counseling and coaching leaders, and often Christian leaders. And so often they call me up after two years of having run out of breath. They're like, I realize I've been running on empty for a couple of years now. I'm like, a couple of years? You didn't think to do anything early? No, I thought it'd be all right. I thought I could push through. So often we don't find the diagnosis we need early enough when it comes to our spiritual breath the thing about the prophet is he's out there and he has a revelation of his own circumstance the Lord takes him out and shows him this valley of dry bones and in this valley of dry bones the diagnosis is pretty straightforward these bones are not just bones they're dry bones they're separated bones this is a picture of what death looks like But we often don't have a revelation of what we look like. We don't have a diagnosis of our circumstances because we're so busy looking the other way. One of the really boring sports that I took up over lockdown was metal detecting. And uh, it seems a slight contrast to surfing, but I've I've learned to love it. And um, we were locked down on my parents-in-law's farm, and so I decided to go out every day and do some metal detecting. And, and, you know, on the first few days, I've got to be honest, all I found was sort of bottle tops, you know, bits of scrap metal, end of gun cartridges and other things that you'd expect to find in a field. But as soon as I found something precious, it was pretty exciting. And it's become more and more boring for my family ever since. <laughs> and this morning, I, I was here, because I, I, just a week ago, I just took a couple of hours out, and I found a silver sovereign in the field. And um, so I, I, I did a little treasure talk for the kids and gave it to a little eight-year-old who's super excited. Um, she doesn't know, it's not really worth very much, but anyway. Uh, the thing was, 
you, know, you needed to search for that treasure. The, the field is just ginormous. This is a brown plowed field, but you need to detect that reality. You need to really seek it out. It wasn't like a valley of dry bones where everything is plain before you. This is the diagnosis. You know, for our spiritual selves, it's rarely as plain. It's rarely as clear as that valley of dry bones. It takes intention and determination to find out what our circumstances really are. This room is full of leaders and entrepreneurs and teachers and really, really busy people. And I guess tonight I'm asking the Lord for a revelation for you, for your own spiritual selves. What's this valley of your life really look like tonight? Because unless we have a, a diagnosis, we cannot get a prognosis, and then we cannot get a healing. Now we need to know the circumstances of our lives before we can petition the Lord for the restoration that we truly need. The prophet notes that these bones were very dry. You know, when I see circumstances in my life and you get a diagnosis, I'm the first one to jump to conclusions. You wake up in the night with a bit of a headache, go to Dr. Google, put in a bit of a headache, you get 19,000 different diseases that you might have, nearly all of them end in death. I nearly always convinced myself that I have the bubonic plague. And then I fall asleep again and wake up in the morning and realize I was just slightly dehydrated. Now, when it comes to a diagnosis... We often assume a prognosis which is negative. And we always think, nah, there's no way through this. But when asked, son of man, can these bones live? The prophet doesn't assume or accept the reality of what he sees before him. No, Lord, these are very dry bones. There's no way that these bones could ever live. You know, in our own spiritual lives, we say, ah, oh, you know what? I'm really dry at the moment. I've got to either work at this or really there's not much I can do. This is just the way I am. People say, well, I'm just losing my faith. Every day we face a barrage of pessimism that leave us convinced of the worst case scenarios that we've imagined. Church has become a place where we offer people consolation. But God has come to offer us transformation. We're not just here to serve people sweet tea and biscuits and say, oh, poor you, your life is so hard. We're here to say that God, the God of the universe, the God of power, the God of might, the God of authority has come down to earth for your sake and he's going to meet with you and he's going to transform your life right now. Are you ready for miracles? Are you ready for transformation? Are you ready for the word of the Lord to speak to you? Or are you so accepting of a story of consolation and peace that you've missed the drama of the gospel? You know, tonight, are we on edge for what God can do? Or are we going so passive and so accepting of the negative prognosis before us? You know, when it comes to our current circumstance, have we become so accepting that we've stopped even praying for a breakthrough of the Spirit of God in our world? When we watch the news on a Monday night, we already resign to the drama and the disaster. Or are we going to get down on our knees and really pray that the God of miracles is going to do something incredible in our world? As Christians, you know, we're not just called to simply resign ourselves to pain and suffering that we see around ourselves. We're not called to resignation, we're called to a victory. You know, and that victory doesn't necessarily mean that all those things will disappear, but we are called to a greater victory. A victory of assurance, a victory of confidence, a victory of a saviour who became flesh for our sake and died and was buried and rose again to new life to offer this world something far greater, something far more than it can see before it. You know, this valley is like a, an image of complete death. It's an image of abject desolation. 
Remember the context. It wasn't like things were all rosy and then suddenly the Lord took Ezekiel up to this valley and you know, he was like, going, oh, this is a surprise, this valley of dry bones. The context of this was horrific. 30 months of siege, you know, 70 years of exile. Things weren't rosy. And actually, if anyone had a right to imbibe pessimism and to begin to have a low view of faith, it was Ezekiel. It wasn't like he'd seen loads of wonderful things happen in his lifetime. Like, oh, things used to be so wonderful down here. 70 years is a lifetime of exile. He had every right to believe his own pessimistic heart, far more than we do. He was enculturated into a setting which had very little hope, and yet, instead of saying, Lord, there's no hope, he says, oh, Lord God, only you know. I love that. Don't you love that? Because I, I'm more like, you know, Lord, just don't even go there. I know you said there's faith of a mustard seed. Definitely we need faith of a watermelon if anything's going to happen here today. And, you know, we might as well all go home right now because I'm sure nothing really spectacular is going to happen. Uh, I would have been saying, Lord, let's just walk off the field. But Ezekiel says, oh, Lord, only you know. And this is the truth. We can esteem and estimate and view and value things with our own human eyes or we can trust the eyes of the Lord above us and before us and say, God, oh, we're built for so much more. We can just see this wood right now, but you can see the heavens. Ezekiel doesn't give in to what he sees. In verse 7 and 8, he speaks and the bones become bodies. He's called here to preach to these bones. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone on bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Spurgeon suggests that this prophecy is preaching. You know, I think, you know, I love preaching. It's like one of the things I think God's built me for. But I love preaching. But there's always a moment, it's difficult with face masks, but there's always a moment when you're preaching and you feel like that's when bones come together. You know, if you're preaching and, and, and the Lord is with you, there's always a moment when you feel like that's when bodies are formed. Like something is happening. That's what we're called to preach, that the church might be one. That was Jesus' prayer, that you might be one. We're called to preach the word of God so that the body of Christ might be formed together. We are the church. But I tell you, preaching isn't where the power is. Because you can preach your socks off and you can see bones come together and become bodies. But there's no breath in them. There's no breath in those bodies. And when you think about it, the progression from bones to bodies is remarkable, isn't it? It's a miracle. One minute there is a valley filled with dry bones and the next minute there is a valley filled with bodies. Can you imagine bringing a friend down? Hey, see this field? A minute ago, this was filled with bones. But now, look, incredible. It's filled with dead bodies. They're hardly going to high-five you, are they? Wow, that's amazing. Bones, there were bones, and now they're just dead bodies everywhere. Oh, that's cute. Can you imagine that? What, what have you really gained if you've turned bones into bodies? 
Like, how, how valuable is that? Well, it's a miracle of sorts, but it's hardly world-transforming. Now you've just got a field full of bodies. You see, the prophet concedes. They weren't alive. There was just no breath in them. In Genesis 2-7, it said that there was a body, but there was no breath in it. God formed Adam, and yet there was no breath in it. And then it says God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. Creation is remarkable, but creation is not as remarkable as the life of creation. You, know, you can model in clay. It's beautiful. But then you can model with life. It's incredible. God can model with clay. He can make forms and shapes and images, but he can also breathe life into those things. He can make dead things come alive. This is the God that Ezekiel is looking to now in this valley. He's saying, Lord, can you do even more than I could ever ask, expect, or imagine? Now, I wonder in your life right now whether you've had this progression from bones to body where you're like, oh, I used to be like just completely broken and dry and, and, and I've been a member of the church for a really long time and I feel like, you know, now I'm like, now I'm like a body and it's not just my body, I'm like a body with other bodies and together we're the body of Christ. But yet somehow, despite being in this body and having this body, you don't really feel alive in Christ. You know, maybe this is an experience that we all have from time to time, where you're like, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm a functioning Christian. It's one of the most depressing things I ever say to myself and say to my friends. How are you doing with the Lord? Today, my friend, I'm a functioning Christian. It's like, that means I'm barely alive. I don't want to be just a functioning Christian. I want to be a spirit-filled Christian who takes the message of Jesus, the message of hope to this broken and hurting world. I want to be a Christian who believes for miracles. I want to be a Christian who believes for transformation. I want to be a Christian who believes for revival. I want to be a Christian who other Christians want to hang around with. I don't want to be a functioning Christian anymore. And, and Ezekiel knows this is true. He, he longs for this. You know, the danger of preaching alone is that it reveals the nature of Christ, the teachings of the church, the character of God. But on its own, you end up with a church filled with bodies but devoid of life. You know, we have doctrine and liturgy and governance and order and community, but how is it actually transforming the world in Jesus' name? But then in verse 9 and 10, you see this shift. Because it's not preaching anymore, it's something completely different. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man you know the word here for breath in the Hebrew ruach it means spirit and breath the same word and interestingly it's a feminine word despite being part of the Godhead so one for the women out there if we're going to do a bit of feminist Christology right now just to let you know that the feminine word ruach it's a word that describes the nature of God himself both breath and spirit prophesy don't preach to these bones don't preach to these bodies but cry out to the God of heaven that his breath might fill what is dead and bring it back to life again and it says and breath entered them and they came to life 
and stood up on their feet a vast army. You know, I, I love the fact that in Ezekiel's prophecy, he didn't say, and, and, and the Spirit filled them, and they came to life, and they got up on their feet, and there was a vast tea party, and they were ready for a community picnic and some life groups, and they were going to have a, a lovely time on their weekend away. It, it didn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says they were a vast army. Now, what have they become? They weren't there just to do stuff and amble around. They were there for a mission. They were there to win a battle. They were there to take the message of God forward. Now, it's not popularist language today to talk about you know, the church being like an army of soldiers. But let's look at the scriptures and see what they say. It seems to me that we were called for a purpose. We're called to perform works that have been prepared in advance for us to do. But actually, we're called to do stuff in the kingdom of God. And God had called these dry bones back to life in order that they might be a vast army for his sake. A church that retreats into its preachings like a hospital without electricity is perfectly sterile and perfectly useless. You know, we can talk a lot here about what we can do, what we can hear, and what we can eat. Now, I, I've been a priest for 16 years and um, I love being a priest. It's brilliant fun. <clears throat> it's a fantastic thing to do, I think. But, but actually, it's also a very impotent thing to do. It's a very powerless thing to do. Because, you know, I could work really hard on my sermons or on my delivery, or I can you know, work really hard in my Bible studies and in my prayer time, but I have got zero power. Now, I can... I can preach and I can pastor and I can teach and I can be busy all the time. But actually what I really need to have any value is a supernatural move of the Spirit of God. You know, and that is true not just for me, but that's true for every single Christian out there. As I said earlier with the field, it's so easy to look like everything is going great on your spiritual journey. Like, Christians are amazing at masking what's going on in their hearts, partly because we have these social conditions where it's kind of, it feels impossible not to come in and say, yes, no, I'm doing really well, thanks. Yeah, the Lord is with me and also with you. <laughs> now, we have this Christian ease which we can hide behind, and it, we're so good at it, it looks like a field that's flourishing, not a field that's dying. Many of us here tonight will feel ashamed and alone because of what we see as the poor quality of our spiritual journey. And many of us have been brought up in families which made us think if we could pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, we'll be able to fix this problem. But I want to tell you that we haven't got the power to fix it. Only the supernatural power and presence of Jesus can transform us. Only his breath can bring these dead bodies back to life again. That's why I'm a card-carrying charismatic who came out of an almost brethren-style background. Why? Because I saw a lot of church, but I didn't see a lot of life. But when the Spirit of God filled me, I suddenly felt my life had value, and I was alive to the Spirit of God. And I long for you to be alive to that same Spirit. People say, Will Vanderhart, you're a bit too enthusiastic. You may want to put my hand up in the air, and that's a bit embarrassing. But I'm saying, my friend, put your hand up in the air, because that's totally fine. Because if you feel moved by God to put your hand in the air, that's a sign that you're alive. You are alive. 
And I just want to say to the church here at St. Dionys, of whom I'm now a glad part, feel free to shout out in my sermons. Feel free to raise your hand in the air if you need to use the toilet. No, feel free to use, put the hand in the air if you'd like to agree with anything they think the Lord might be saying. Not for my glory, but for the glory of the Lord who's all around us. Since he longs for us to demonstrate we're actually moved by what we're hearing. To say we are alive. This might not be a Fulham-centric sermon, but I want to take the Fulham-centricness out of you and give you a little bit of Pentecostalism again. To say, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of the Lord came like a rushing wind to fill the hearts of the people in order that the church might be born, in order that people might know the glory and the love of God again in this world. There's never been such a time as this for us to be exothermic Christians. Respiration, the product of, is heat. You know, when, we, when we respire, when we respirate, we experience warmth that's why we're warm-blooded when we breathe in oxygen and it mingles with the sugars within us it produces energy and the product of that energy is heat and I long to be an exothermic Christian who radiates the heat of the gospel of Jesus Christ now some people say Christians are cold fish but I long for them to say Christians They're so sort of on fire. My heart was strangely warmed. Tonight, is the Spirit of God at work in your lives? In John 20, 22, the disciples are gathered and they're preparing to be church. And Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive my Holy Spirit. You see, the bookends of the Bible are that God breathed life into Adam and Jesus breathed life into the disciples. The breath of the foundation of the world becomes our breath. And we're renewed for that breath today. The Lord is gentle. The Lord is spirit. And the Lord is here gathered. And so right now as we move to this place of openness to his spirit. We have to lay down the belief that we can do this to ourselves. We have to be able to survey the valley of our own lives and acknowledge those places which are dry bones. We have to preach to those bones by receiving the word and applying it to our lives that we might become bodies. But we're so much more than bodies. We need to cry out and prophesy to the king of heaven that we might be spirit-filled, life-flooded believers. What's this? It's a match. And you know, it's amazing. It's just come out of this box of matches. But this match is going to have a miserable life if this is all it does. It's not being created for this. It's perfectly a match. But it's not being created for this purpose, to be in this box. It's being created for this. It's being created to light up the world around it. Now, each one of you here gathered have been created not to be a match in the box, but to be a fire for Jesus Christ in the world around you, to be lit for his glory. 
And so let's stand right now as we ask the Holy Spirit to fulfill the potential that we carry in his name.